Well, I'm not sure if you'd call this an emergency pod because the game did happen and we're, we're talking after, but earlier in the day, Francesco Aquilini finally spoke to the public outside of the few dribs and drabs we get on Twitter. So as a result, we had to do this in advance of Tuesday and a 4 nothing Canuck victory on Monday Night Drancer. If I could sing, I would sing Happy Days Are Here Again. Felt like that, eh? The vibes at Rogers Arena on Monday night could not have been more different than they seemed to be on Saturday and I wasn't here, but <laughs> than what they seemed on Saturday. Um, what a what an insane 48 hours for this organization. Like truly, you know, from the jersey throw and John Garrett's reaction to it and Stan Smeal's emotional reaction to it and everything that occurred on Sunday with, you know, a, a historic day of house cleaning for the organization. A massive change in direction. And we're not all the way there in terms of seeing exactly what that change of direction looks like. But certainly it felt like a a new day. Like it felt like a new day on Monday at Rogers Arena. The crowd was into it. The Canucks were into it. It was like everyone was unencumbered by the weight of everything that's gone on around this organization for the past 12 months especially you know the darkest year in Vancouver Canucks history to be to be totally honest with you from the empty buildings the dead last in the all canadian division you know the start what's happened with Pedersen the offseason i mean all of it just unmitigated darkness around this club the covid outbreak you know today at least felt new it did, and, and you know, from the player's standpoint, and I don't know that any of them were advocating for Travis Green's dismissal, but they certainly seem buoyed by it, you know, from the morning skate, just to have a different voice and a chance to start over. And, you know, we, we've talked about this. Like, for me, I've always, you know, chafed at the notion of a reset button for these guys when it's their fault, when it's, you know, ultimately their effort level. We saw tonight that they're capable of more. Yes, we understood this roster was flawed, but as we saw tonight, they were capable of more, and they showed us more tonight. They weren't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, there were some small tweaks, you know, coaching-wise, but none of those are really going to take hold for the next couple of weeks. This group was capable of more, and they showed it. So we can sit here and lament it and rail at the fact that, you know, there's an immaturity level or a lack of accountability level that comes with all of that, but ultimately, the end goal was there. They got the bump, right? They got the reset. But we bump. don't they have got- to. We don't even have to rail against the lack of accountability because Stan Smill did it for us. Absolutely. Well, And you know what? Let's go there. Let's not talk about the game quite yet in this first segment, but let's get into what we heard earlier today. And, you know, I, you and I, when we started our emergency pod last night, we weren't sure we were going to hear from the owner. By the time we finished the pod, the release came out that the owner was, in fact, going to speak. And we were excited about that. You know, I've always said that they generally don't want to face the press conference, right? Mm-hmm. I got news for you. In my opinion, I thought Francesco Aquilini handled himself really well. And it makes me wonder, why don't you do this more? And when I say more, I don't mean daily. I, and I don't mean no, Jerry no. Jones. But for uh, for you to expect that Francesco Aquilini, we got into this with IMAC a little bit today because he, he kind of scoffed at the notion, right? And I'm thinking, we're not talking about regular. Like regular to us means annually, maybe semi-annually. But that might be the extent of it because for us, that would be just unbelievable access given what we've had to this point he was comfortable there were a couple times he joked or maybe he wasn't comfortable but he certainly came across comfortable and I think he took a level of accountability and he took us through the fact that yeah you know maybe I I should have done it sooner you know maybe I was a little optimistic Uh, and there was a lot of that like he didn't necessarily have concrete answers but no he did allow himself to be a little bit failable and that was nice right that was nice just because it allowed, it showed a level of accountability and, you know. And humility, and, and, right? Yeah, an admission that, look, I don't always have it right, you know. Yep. So I, I I appreciated that. And I wish we could get more because I thought he came across very, very well. I, You know what? I don't disagree with you in the least. I thought he came across pretty well. I thought he handled it pretty well. I thought some of the stuff felt like it was coming from fantasy land. You know, the the response to my question about striving for excellence as an organization like that's what we've always done it's like mm, have you have you the last yeah, eight years every every organization in the world believes that's who they are and what they are like come on really like do you think people go into well, a scenario i don't know like, i mean there's a lot of delusional I mean, you organizations should, you, you can address you can address the fact that the playoff or you know and get in and anything can happen mantra has been dominant 
you know, he he echoed it on 650 earlier this fall. Like I, I expected at least a little bit of recognition, um, you know, and, and also, of course, the pushback on the autonomy question and then leading into the response, you know, well, Stan Smeal originally suggested Bruce Boudreaux, but then his agent called me and I negotiated the contract and it made sense <laughs> for the coach and for me. I mean, that was a little rich, right? Like there was yeah, yeah. some... There were some things that were a little pie in the sky, but I, th- I agree with you. I th- thought he came across well. And look, he had to do it. He had to do it. He did do it. Bonus points for being accountable in that setting. Like, you know, they are awarded because we've criticized him for it. It, it isn't really part of his job. You know, it, it, he, he does think the GM and the coach should speak more. They should. He's not wrong. But, you know, he faced it today and, and he faced it well. He, well he, it, it must be said. And it was it was difficult for him because I think in the beginning of all of this, he put in Trevor in place knowing that that would be the buffer. Then you get rid of the buffer and you realize the GM is not equipped to do this and the GM has <laughs> yeah. to talk more. And, you know, and when what I think you have to understand is you, it's not simple enough to just say we want them to do the talking for the club because clearly you're quite involved. Number one. Number two, when the guy doing the talking is failing, someone needs to explain to us what his status is. Right, like yeah. we sit, we sit there, and we we expect Jim to give us votes of confidence on the coach, and whether that comes or not in in a solid way. And we all know that really this comes down to the owner. And then if we think Jim is failing, we need to ask somebody about that. We can't ask Jim about the fact that he's failing and try to get a meaningful assessment on his job security because how does he know that, right? Yep. So right. and clearly he didn't right. Like the, the the mass firings on Sunday were a surprise, I think, internally. You know, I, I think the end came suddenly and, and also belatedly, right? It is one of those situations. But I, but I want to talk about Steamer real quick, right? I want to talk about Stan and the authenticity and the character and the passion for this club that he shows every time he does speak in these settings. And he's only done it twice since I returned to cover this team. He did it once on captain's night with Trevor Linden and Marcus Nasland, And, you know, Linden was sort of handling the presser as Linden does, you know, suavely, smoothly, in full command of that venue. And then I asked Trevor the hard question that night. This was back in, you know, March of or February of 2019. No, 2020, February 2020. And I asked Trevor the hard question, right, about if it's hard to be back here and Trevor gives a good answer, right? Like, I'm just happy to watch the team on TV, And then Stan jumps in, right? And without an iota of benefit that it could possibly do for him, considering the enmity that at that point existed between Trevor and ownership, between Trevor and Jim, right? Defends Lyndon's record and says he doesn't get enough credit for some of the correct decisions and correct moves that he made to put the right people in place, right? That was a gutsy move by Stan back then. And, and he had the same energy today. I thought the finger-pointing quote was just masterful. And then, as the night proceeded and I had more conversations in the press box and around the rink, and I'm, I'm actually still at the rink, Farhan. I've been here now for 13 hours. boy. As our producer, Danielle, joked to me, I live here now. She's not wrong. Um, Setting up the Murphy bed in Tort's office? <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Bruce Boudreaux version, presumably. Uh, um, but the... You know, the finger pointing quote, just the he tore into the organization's culture, right? He basically he basically ripped a shred off of the organization's culture of blame that has been allowed to fester and vowed to get it back on track. And I'd heard as the night went on that, in fact, his best performance, as good as he was in the presser, his best performance had been in the locker room to the players on Monday morning. And so I asked Elias Pedersen about it, and Pedersen recounts a quote that is verbatim, basically. And, and that's Pedersen, right? Like, Pedersen doesn't just remember the moment. Like, he describes it in full, <laughs> you know, detail. Yeah, he's got, he's got the LeBron going on with that. He's got, exactly, exactly. And as Pedersen continues, it, it dawns on me that, in fact, Stan delivered basically the same message to the room with you know, their makeshift committee uh, of interims, of interim management folks in tow, like to the entire team as he did to the media. And it just occurred to me, like, when was the last time that this organization had that level of consistency 
in terms of a vision for what's gone wrong and what needs to be fixed that was expressed both internally and to the ticket-buying public and the media. I mean, prob- probably not in five years. Like Probably not since Lyndon left. Uh, my jaw dropped once Pedersen illuminated that, and of course Demko later called it, um, you know, said it resonated powerfully. And how could it not? You know, he's right. He's right, and it's a absolute takedown of where this club has been. And, you know, I think that type, like, for all that I am still deeply cynical about how all of this has gone down, about how Benning and Travis were left to wither on the vine and ultimately be embarrassed in public, for all that, you know, the search for a president of hockey operations and a general manager, um, you know, the the idea that Stan Smeal was deeply involved in the hiring of Bruce Boudreaux, like, for all of the <laughs> things that I scoff at regarding what's gone down over the last 48 hours and and sort of signs to me that maybe the process still is a bit iffy with this club in a, in a way that concerns me for what comes next. For all of that, I got to say, like, if you've got an interim leader in charge who's beginning to have the tough conversations, right, who's beginning to have those harsh words, those necessary words, that that real, you know, rugged look in the mirror for the organization. Like if that's getting through, if that's being said to fans and internally, that to me, Farhan, that to me is a step in the right direction. Like that's something for me to to hope for or or to grab onto is like, hey, that could be the start of something meaningful here. You know, much more so to be totally honest than the Bruce Boudreaux uh, bounce that we saw on the ice on Monday night. Well, you know, for me, I'll tell you what impresses me, the fact that it resonated with Pedersen and Demko. Because I think the lack of accountability starts with the players, right? And and we've talked about that, that, you know, I, I hate the fact that they can sit there, play like trash, and, and be allowed a reset button, right? Like, that annoys me, uh, just as a guy that's worked with young people for a long time, regardless of whether they're millionaires or not. Um, and, it, and, you know, as far as Stan's comment, it came to, the, to it came as an answer to my question to Francesco, and Stan jumped in. Because mm-hmm. I, I asked the question about um, the the room losing faith in the organization, right? And and we talked about it starting with I, I framed it with last off season with how the how the roster was handled. You know the the people that were allowed to walk away from a leadership standpoint and right into the COVID situation and into this season. Like I I framed it so he understood that there is a lack of faith now that the the room is losing faith in the organization right and and francesco kind of what i don't i'm not sure he quite understood where i was going with the answer so stan jumped in right and for him to talk about that about that level of accountability because i don't think this group has had that and i think the i think travis green has tried to say it like he's probably tried to talk to the players about it but you know it's been a few years. They may have tuned out his message. They may have felt he was dead man walking at some point along the way. Clearly, Jim is not the type to go in and to have that level of presence, to have that type of message directly to the players. But it would be easy for a bunch of young players like that to say, who are you? Like, you're not really that meaningful here, are you? Like, you were kind of, you know, just a guy in the background, and now they've kind of given you this title temporarily. Yes, I know your number's up there. But it would have been easy for them to dismiss Stan Smeal because he's an interim general manager that's going to be doing this temporarily until the next guy gets hired. So the fact that it did resonate, and you know, there comes a time where I'll, I'll I'll digress a little bit. Good friend of mine, Angus Reed, who used to play for the Lions, wrote a book called "Thank You, Coach," and it was about his relationship with Dan Durazio, who was his offensive line coach. And if you really read the book, what it'll tell you is not how great a coach that coach was it was that he was finally ready to be coached right and and so we're in this moment now with these players where it seems like they're finally ready to be coached they want the message they wanted to hear the message where i think for the last few months they've tuned out the message they've been aching for a new message and they've wanted to absorb it and take it in so i i think that probably allowed them to have a much stronger more meaningful response to Stan Smeal than they otherwise would have. You know what I mean? Just because of where they're yeah. at. This is the group of players that at the end of the last game was dumbfounded at the bench, staring into space, wondering where the hell are we? 
before finally walking back into the locker room. So I think they're finally at a point where they want to receive a message. And whether it's Stan Smeal or Bruce Boudreaux, they're in a good spot because these guys might be turning into that clay that can be molded again. Totally. And, you know, I think that I think that that's a good point and that for sure there's an internal combustion engine to to the receipt of the, me- of the message. But I also think when your number's up there, you know, and when you've been around and when you carry yourself with the, you know, it's an understated gravitas right like a gruff sort of weight to him that Smeal has I just think that commands respect like at the end of the day you know Smeal's like the best soldier this organization's ever had he he did so again today right he he defended ownership uh, the way you'd expect him to you know he talked about his love for this team being the reason that he jumped into a role that I don't think you know, he's really ever had the ambition to hold. And, you know, I think there's a weight to that. Like, I think a lot of it, too, comes but we from get, but we and, get, But we get that. Do they get that? Because they don't really know. I like, think so. I watched, I think, I I think watched so. Stan Smeal play as a kid. And, like, when I was a kid, I watched him play. And, Before you know, like, I know he, you're right. He is the <laughs> soldier. I'm, I'm just curious if these guys truly get just his importance, right? Because if you look yeah. at Stan, he comes across as a gruff old school guy he doesn't come across like as poorly as jim benning but he doesn't come across slick and suave like trevor linden either right um he comes no, but across, that's okay sometimes he's just authentic yeah sometimes that's what matters you know sometimes you don't want the slick salesman sometimes you need to hear the hard truth from a disappointed father figure <laughs> yeah no, it's true. Um, like you i'm know? just impressed that it resonated that's my that's my yeah takeaway from all no, i agree with you but i but i also think when you're a guy like Stan delivering the same harsh message internally and externally, you know, like to me, that's not just an improvement on the way that the club has communicated in the past. That comes pretty close to something like real leadership. And that's something this organization really hasn't had in a long time. But it also tells us what we believed to be happening was happening, right? Like we talked about, just the accountability piece and the blame game, right? And and who's tuned out who and who doesn't get along with who and who thinks it's the other guy's fault and just that lack of accountability. So for him to actually come out and say it also tells us it was, in fact, happening. Yeah, it, it wasn't so, It wasn't a conspiracy theory. It wasn't some media-manufactured mush. It was legitimate. It was, it was a real problem in that room. And hopefully this change of direction can fix it because it might not, right? I mean, we, we understand no. that when when you really roll it out there and force the emperor to take off his clothes, right? With, with, <laughs> with the collective team being the emperor, right? And now you're yep. being stripped down a little bit. We don't know. Like we hope and we assume and or we we not assume. We just we're we're going to observe it. But they got stripped down a little bit. If in fact that was the message. So now let's see. You've been called out. You've been called yep. out by a different voice that you're not used to hearing, not one that you've tuned out. You got your wish, you got change, right? Yep. Let's see what you got now because it, it might not be fixable. Like four nothing doesn't mean it's fixable. You know, you'll nope. get a change, you'll get a bounce. You know, the roster's flawed. We don't know how the roster's going to be fixed. You might have to deal with this roster for a while. So let's see what your character level is. You know, I, like for yep. me, I've certainly questioned the character level in that room. And, uh, you know, and, and on many levels, Stan Smeal did as well. Right, like when you a hundred percent when you unvarnished out, when you call out guys for lack of accountability and finger pointing, you were calling out their character. Yeah, you are, and and that's why it was so notable to me. Like, I know everyone's reacting to the admission or the self criticism from Francesco that maybe they waited a little bit too long, but it's like we knew that we knew no. that that's not new to me. Someone it, it from the organization, it. it's, it's good yeah, to admit yeah, it. that matters. He's, sure, sure, it does matter, but it's not. It's not new to me. Like we knew that. We knew that. It was so clear. But the you know, the the admission from within the organization that like we need to get on the same page. There's no one else at fault here. We get out of this together or we don't. I mean, I just thought that was extraordinary and right and and really impressive at the end of the day. As as I reflect on today, that's the thing that I'll remember the most was, you know, Smeal's authenticity, Smeal's honesty. And and, and this matters so, so much, Smeal's consistency 
in terms of delivering the same message to the public as what the players heard themselves. How many times do you think players have been blindsided by by what they heard from, about this organization? Like, including, according to Frank Saravalli, on Sunday night. Um, that that matters to me. I think that matters a lot. And you know, uh, for me, that's for me that might be the biggest single takeaway today. Well, so much to dive into from this morning. I want to get into Bruce Boudreaux and and then obviously the game tonight. But uh, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and continue to dive in. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Before we get into Boudreaux, I want to get into one thing, and, and, and it's not just because I asked the question, but because, you know, in all of this, right, Francesco admitted some things today, which might have been obvious to, to you and I, but it still, it still matters that they also see it because sometimes you can be delusional, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, you can kid yourself. So I asked him the question about the narrative in the marketplace and in the industry is that you're too involved. And being too involved is one of the reasons you kept Jim as long as you did so that you could continue to have the influence you wanted to have. Right. And he, he denied it. Right. Like I, I got the sense it was a, it was a way of denying that he was actually doing an explicit that. denial. Yeah. I'd yeah. Because so. he said that owners own managers, manage players play. And when those lines get blurred, you have problems. Shades of shades of Lawrence Gilman there, by the way. Yeah, no, you're right. That's and, a, that's a Gilmanism right there. But with all of that, it, you know, and I even gave him an out. I said, look, ultimately this is your team. It's your money. You invest. So you can do like you're entitled to do what you want with your investment, but this is a concern that's out there. And, you know, he basically suggested that, yeah, no, I, I don't want to do that. But it's clear he's been doing it. To the point where yeah. he negotiated the deal himself with Boudreaux and ultimately yep. made the decision. And, and and you should, right? Like if you don't trust your GM, the owner has to then make that decision. So we we do expect that. But um Do we you know I no, you expect the owner to, if you don't have a president of hockey ops, you ha- the owner's got to make the decision on the GM. There has to be some oversight, and that's ownership, oh, right? Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, no, no, no right? of course. But, so I, that, but once you've made the decision on the GM, it does seem a little odd that the owner would directly choose and negotiate with the coach as opposed yeah, but to he doesn't, he doesn't leaving have that G- to his interim group. No. Yeah, but he does. All. He has an not, interim GM. Not in this case. Not in this case, right? Okay. Like, ultimately, it's his investment because he had to give an extra year of term. So he had to make that decision. Yeah, but it's not, not, not guaranteed per Emily Kaplan of ESPN. But for like ultimately, he had to make the decision as to whether or not he wanted to create a scenario to at least allow him to see a bump this year. Sure. Yeah. Right. So that's like I, I normally I would, you know, if there's a regular GM in place, you absolutely allow him to set the vision, but you, you don't do that here. Because if all of a sudden Stan and, and the conglomerate decided they wanted to, you know, uh, get somebody for four years, like the owner's got to sign off on that. So that's not in this case, I almost give him a pass. And you know me, I never give ownership a pass here, uh, nor do you. So, you know, does, do you think he really believes he's not overly involved? Yeah, I do. How big of a problem is that then? Because it will, Pro- it will I influence mean, I- his, it'll influence the next hire. I mean, pretty big, but I think the main part of it, yeah, I mean, I, you're right. I think there's still a blind spot, right? As much as I take some heart from Smeal's willingness to have the harsh conversations that are necessary in terms of evaluating where this organization's culture is at, I also think, you know, figuring out the structural part, figuring out the process, developing good process, building this organization back into a world-class one. You know, I'm, I mean, I think that's really crucial work for this next era of Canucks hockey, whatever shape that takes on. So, you know, I, I do think that that's a conversation that still probably needs to occur, but, you know, will will surely occur as the next general manager and potentially president and potentially both. I thought the door was left wide open for that um, it, in today's presser. 
Uh, you does know, it, does it make you nervous, shape. though, that it sounded less committal? Like, yes, I know all things are possible. Uh, you know, he even talked about a dual GM president, which kind of defeats the purpose on some levels, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because ultimately, it still makes him that next guy above the GM, right? I mean, Just it can for- work. It can work. It worked for the Gillis era, right? That that was a GM president. He was both. Ro- he was in both roles. But he um, also so, I mean, had it- so many other people that had more meaningful roles than what totally. is around Benning, right? So, you know, it looked more like a professional organization than what this looks like. So, you know, at one point he even said uh, that, you know, you could you could put 20 people in place or you could put 10 people in place. But ultimately, the GM's got to make the decision. Right. And it it does seem that he would still like to have central leadership and not meet on the bone in terms of the organization. Am I wrong? Did I misread that? No, I think you're right. I, I think that's a fair read entirely. That's that, to me. That's problematic. Yeah. No. I. I. You know what? I agree with you. Um, there are still some major questions that exist in terms of what this organization does, right? Including, including like, you know, this team may get a bit of a dead cap bounce here under Boudreaux, right? Boudreaux's a really good coach. <laughs> He's a really good coach. Mm-hmm. And in the regular you know, season, yeah. In, Very yeah, and they, and they and they did some really good things tonight. Like there, there were, and we'll get into all this shortly. But you know, even if this club performs now at say a ninety-five or a hundred-point pace and still falls well short of the playoffs because that's the hole they've dug for themselves early, like that cannot cause the necessary work that must occur to upgrade this roster to be delayed or deferred. Like they can't fall in love with this team looking like what they expected this team to over the next two, three months, because yeah, this team probably is better than they were for the first two months of the season, but they're still that team too, right? Like there's still not enough. And I do think that that's sort of a risk in the event that they, you know, perform that, that, that there are more nights like this one coming. I still think it's important that this team be brutally honest with where they're at in terms of the quality of their roster. Yeah, no, you're right. And, you know, I remember Berkey was one of the first guys to talk to me about, like, don't get fooled by what happens in the last six weeks of a season for a team that's not close to the playoffs. Right. Right. Team play Teams play them differently. There's, you know, and you as a player play differently when there's no pressure. You learn very little about a player in that setting. Yes, you can do well and it speaks to your professionalism, but it doesn't necessarily speak to your ability to deal with pressure. Right. And, yep. you know, and those are the teams that wind up in the murky middle, right, where you're not picking in the top 10 and you're, you know, you're you're not uh, you're not a meaningful contender. You're just right in that yuck spot. Right. So. Totally. F- so for me, let's let's talk a bit about Boudreaux, because it's interesting. Yeah, I've talked a the, lot about Boudreaux. One of the one of the takeaways <laughs> I got from him was he, the one time he, well, I guess it was it was it in Anaheim or Minnesota where he, he said he was he was uh, they were 22 and two. It, down the stretch and they just missed the playoffs right but like that's a pretty good clip right um, yeah and uh i think that was the number was it 22 and 2 uh some something like that it was close to that is what he quoted himself as but uh do you think he's still thinking that's the goal or is he just not even there yet he's just trying to assess and see what he's got yeah i mean i loved you know i sort of asked the question about his goal for himself right like what what, what do you expect and you know his answer focused on having fun again, getting it, getting everyone to have some fun again, right? Getting guys wanting to be at the rink. Like that's the start. That's the rudiment. And then you sort of build the goals out. And then he talked about winning the week. And then he talked about this concept of their nine points out of the playoffs. And if you look at it as like, we need to win 12 in a row, that seems insurmountable. But if you look at it as we need to gain one point a week for the next nine weeks, then all of a sudden it's a, it's a hill you can climb. And I just thought that was delightful because the odds against them are so long, but the way he chopped it down made it seem so doable. Yeah, and short I just term thought goals, that is sure. that is beautiful. That is that is a perfect way to distill and look at it, considering where this team's at. So, um, you know, I was pretty impressed with Bruce just as like an engaging personality, even though, you know, post game he was like Oh boy, it was so fast. Like I didn't even know who was on the ice. Who was that goal scorer, that fourth line center? Like yeah, what was his name again? <laughs> it was like, oh my goodness. It was um, awesome. You know, you know what it was, but it the was best awesome, part is actually. The best part is is at some point he's gonna look at you and say, What the F are you talking about? Totally. Just because he won't understand the question. There's that that moment is coming. Where he doesn't understand one of my questions? Yes. 
And he's just yeah, gonna, probably. He's just going to look at you and he's just going to stare. And yeah, there's going to be a big laughter. It'll be better than, you know, Travis's dismissive response or just kind of chuckling <laughs> at you, right? Like, so, like, I'm going to miss that when Travis kind of shoots down you or myself or J-Pat. Um, but, uh, you know, th- this is going to be a whole different uh, level of freshness for us two in the room. I'm going to miss It's a Hard League to Win In. <laughs> yeah. Um, but look, I, I you know. He, the team needs a, this, right? Like, I mean, in terms the, of the just. The team needs this, for sure. No question. And it's not just the change, but there is a, a lightheartedness that he's going to bring and a simplicity to how he's going to deliver yes. the message, right? And and I think... Well, and that's why he was the right hire. Like, that, they, it wasn't enough to replace the head coach. They needed to replace the head coach with someone dramatically different. You know, like, it needed to be a sea change. It was insufficient to just make a change. It needed to be like a change you could feel and taste and and that was like absolutely undeniable. And Bruce is as different as it gets in terms of approach, in terms of personality, in terms of style. And like that that mattered. You know, to me, I thought if you if you'd replaced Green with Bradshaw, that wasn't going to that wasn't going to cut the mustard. That wasn't going to work. Did you cut mustard? Um that wasn't going to work. But replacing him with Bruce, I it's just so different. It's just so different that I think there's a chance you actually do get a bounce out of it. And, of course, it helps that Bruce is a, as an incredible coach. But also, you know, as Bruce dunks on the penalty kill, the sit-back penalty kill, and his fans buy into, you know, this idea of a happy group and the change that Bruce has wrought, and Green was the problem the whole time. Like, don't forget that we're not far removed. Like, <laughs> less than two years, 22 months removed from... Bruce leaving Minnesota and everyone saying the same things about Dean Evison. Right? Like Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It it does not mean Green Green's time here pretty clearly expired. I th- I think that's pretty obvious at this point. Yep. But but you know, just because this team may have more success over the balance with Bruce, just because this was a good hire doesn't repudiate what Green is as a bench boss or the success that he he's likely to have as he moves forward in his career. And and it's just important to note that because, you know, Bruce is definitely a really good coach and it happened to him where another guy came in and got out of a group what he could. Well, and here's the perfect example of a change in message. How many times have we talked to Travis Green about Brock Besser and, and Green's message was he's got to shoot the puck more. Right, like he's mm-hmm. got to be more aggressive. So you know, and, and we used to chuckle at the amount of times where Travis would say, "Yeah, you know, I had a meeting with him, or I had a conversation with him, or I pulled him aside, and it was like the wonder meeting, right?" Because somebody would would wind up having a not so much this past year, but certainly a couple of years yeah. ago, it was always about the meeting, right? Um, so what did Bruce do today? He had a meeting with Brock Besser, and what did he tell Brock Besser? Shoot the puck more. You know, <laughs> yeah. don't, like don't try to put too fine a point on it. Just shoot the puck, right? And it was the same message as Travis gave repeatedly, but with a different yeah. voice and a different result. And you can see Brock Besser today, post-game, just smiling a little bit more and more than anything, just feeling a level of relief and just not that Feeling stress. better some about of himself, it, having fun. Yeah, like some of it came from he the swore. fact that he scored. He, but said, also- he said shit. He said shit into a microphone. <laughs> and by there the way, I'm not, not hating on that. You know me. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah say shit more. That's great. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but <laughs> I am the sicko from the Ottawa senators meme, but the, uh, but the, I got yeah, called out for using BS a lot. I know. I like Twitter. That. Like, what is that? Did, did, did you, um, I liked also Bruce Boudreaux talking about using the skilled guys on the PK and him telling Besser that he was going out for a PK shift and Besser saying, holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> so um, good. But Boudreaux, Boudreaux was hilarious tonight. Like the fact that. You know, the, the fans are chanting his name. He doesn't. He's the only guy in the building that didn't hear it. <laughs> he's the only guy. He's the only guy. Oh, that would be nice. That would have been nice. Like, there's just no. Well, it, there's well, it happened, just Bruce. something. There's something incredibly charming about the way he goes about his business. Um, it was a welcome bomb tonight or today at Rogers Arena. And look, the fans responding kind. The players responding kind. I, I think today, too, just felt like such a weight, like. Even going back to January, like late January of twenty of twenty twenty one, from that point on, 
speculation about the future of this organization has been constant and deafening. You know, it's like everyone's been waiting for another shoe to drop and everyone's been waiting for that shoe to drop for like 12 months, like forever. And I think the fact that it happened, I think the fact that the club turned the page, even if that page turn is incomplete, even if this next chapter isn't even written or or decided upon, um, you know, just turning the page in some manner just felt like such an exhalation for an organization that's been stuck, like stuck in this sort of bad shit zone, as Stan Smith described it. He didn't call it a bad shit zone. I'm I'm putting that terminology on his description of pointing fingers, but just this sort of area of bad shit with, you know, questions about ownership interference and questions about players work ethic. And are they tuning out the coach? And does the coach have enough on the roster and on and on just like to just move past it, even for just a day, it was just such a fucking relief, man. It's just such a fucking like, I don't, I don't have any skin in the game. I don't care about the result in any way. I'm just at the rink and I'm like, I have nothing to complain about. I'm not even mad no, we, about look, that we, we, bobble we, we, by Tucker Pullman. Like I'm just, I'm just here in this atmosphere. Like this is it. This is great. This we, is, we do have this skin is in the game. What Vancouver hockey can be. Look, we do have skin in the game. We're going to cover it regardless. But at the end of the day, we hate covering a level of incompetence and a level of futility, right? Like, yeah, you're that's right. It tough does to do Groundhog Day. It, it does affect. But I've, us all. I've come to like it. Stockholm syndrome. Like I've come. Yeah, to not get me. Used to it. You know, not me. I just like. I've I mean, used to it. I'm lucky because I can turn the page to football and get my sense of relief. But nonetheless, like it, it sucks to have to cover something where there's just no light at the end of the tunnel, right? Um, right. And now there was light. And if you're going to the games, you know, we've kind of gone back and forth about whether or not this was really happening or whether we were looking for it and, you know, how legitimate, you know, people were upset because some people are just finally being able to access the games because they're cheaper and there's more tickets available and so on. And they just want to come watch and all this. But ultimately, the second the game gets one-sided, there's unrest. And we were feeling that. Like, as long as the games were close and people could stay invested in the outcome on that given night, you're not going to get the venom. But the second the game gets out of hand... And it's been like that for recent games at home. The venom is there. You can feel it. There's a tension. There was yeah, none of that. None of that. They, and they none could have lost that. for nothing. They could have lost for nothing. And it wouldn't have mattered because no, ultimately I don't the think change was made. And there's yeah, nothing you could do about it at that point. You, you, could even, you could even tell in the like relatively naive or innocent or normal way that fans were rooting on players. You know, the, there, was, there was just a totally different vibe in the building. Uh, and it was evident right from the outset, and it continued on through the game. And yes, the Canucks were full value for it in terms of their performance, in terms of giving fans something to cheer about, in terms of the way that they actually generated chances, um, in terms of the excitement level, in terms of the danger that they pressed upon their opponent. Uh, but, you know, it was just a totally different vibe at the rink. And and I do feel like it was a little bit independent of the results. The results, like, amplified it further as the night went on. But it was a totally different vibe from the crowd. And quite rightly, turns out, turns out, Farhan, maybe this market's not so negative after all. So, <laughs> so long just... as the organization is responsive at all to any basic standard of, of what should be acceptable in terms of results and direction. It's only the media that's negative. We'll take a quick break and come back and dive into the game. You talked about the vibe in the building, Drancer, and, and certainly it was just so different. But uh, let's start with Alex Sedler, who comes back tonight. For the first game back with that whole level of new. And I wonder what's going through his mind that, yes, it was his first game back here and the emotions that came with that and the really nice ovation he got and, you know, the uh, the tribute and all of that. But through it all, he must have just kind of felt a completely different team on the other side because, I mean, he also was a guy that finally got to the point where he just wanted to get out of here, right? I mean, he wanted to stay, but at the same time, you got Alex Edler to the point where he was comfortable leaving. Like, that tells you how much you suck as an organization. That Alex yeah, Edler, totally. no matter how bad you got, always wanted to stay and wasn't going to wave. And he no, finally. And it still sucks. It still sucks that he left. Like, it sucks that he's not this organization's Jason Spezza. It sucks. Sure. Yeah. Like, uh, but at the, at the end of the day, sucks. what did it, it feel like? It still sucks. They could still use him. Well, they could still bring him back. Spezza eventually left, and, you know, it, it all goes full circle. You never know. but um, And they could use him. You're right, because of the way that defense is constructed. I mean, I don't know that they could use him at the number he's getting, but all that said, you know, and this isn't a, um, a retrospective on Alex Settler's career. He I'm makes just a million saying, more than Pullman. Stop it. 
Yeah, but Stop Pullman it. shouldn't be getting paid what he's getting paid. Like, don't use Pullman Stop as it. justification for people who don't get who are getting paid in the wrong <laughs> in the wrong it. slot. We finally got Brandon Sutter to the right number, and now he's not playing. But That's how much you think he? How much you think he looked at this situation and thought, "Wow, this actually like feels good for them." I mean, you know, I'm sure he had conversations before, during, and after the game with players, and and, and probably saw a completely different vibe from all of them. Yeah, I'm sure he's. Uh... I, I doubt he's regretting his decision. No, no, no <laughs> I'm not totally suggesting honest. that at all. I'm not suggesting. I think. That at I all. mean, Edler knew. Like Edler knew is the big takeaway. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it was funny post game. I I walked into his availability uh, just before the Canucks got started, and you know, I asked him about the ovation, and he talked about Vancouver being a great place to play, and the building being a great building, and. Um, and I was like, did you get it all emotional? Like, Alex, come on, give me something to work with here for the He'd never give you that. time in my career. And he said a little bit, but I was just focused on the game. And I was like, a little bit. Yes, I got it. I got it. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was uh, honestly, I, I appreciated it. It was like a, it was like a fun moment for me to be totally honest with you. I was like, yes, Edler dismissing my question. This is the best. I missed this. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's let's talk a bit about just what we saw on the ice and what what change you noticed the most. Before we talk about a player, but just structurally, was it the forechecking? Was it a little bit more aggressiveness on the PK? What stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, systems wise, I think people are making a lot of of a slightly more aggressive forecheck that worked tonight. But I also thought the Kings' ability to attack the Canucks in transition, like they generated pretty easily against this team and, and facing teams that aren't playing the second leg of a back-to-back -back, uh, or have a little bit more team speed than the Kings, who are really only, like, average fast. Um, you know, I think that's... We'll see. Like, we'll see. But, uh, but you know, I, I, don't, I didn't think the forecheck looked that different to me. Uh, I thought they used space pretty well. I thought they used width a little bit better on entries. Um, but you know, that might've just been the players being a little sharper, a little bit more keen to impress a, a, a new head coach. Uh, that often happens. Um, you know, I, I thought the PK was, was more aggressive. That was sort of the most noticeable thing to me. We definitely saw the young guys play more early in the game. We saw the fourth line play more late in the game and th throughout the evening, to be totally honest. Uh, and then we saw skilled guys on the PK. So those are sort of the big changes as they stood out to me, um, you know, was skilled but four player forwards. usage. I think there were four forwards that didn't get ice time on the PK. Right. Besser, so, Garland, Chason, and I think Hoaglander. Uh, uh, you know what? That's Hyman probably was, a good way. That's probably a good way to build accountability in two. It's like, we suck here. It's not on these four guys anymore. We're all doing this together. You know, like there's, uh, there, there's probably a sensible, um, you know, team-focused approach to that too that, that makes sense as you put it that way to me because I hadn't realized that that many guys Quinn, killed Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes even got six seconds on the PK. Career Bo Horvat, the high minute man at uh, 2.02 yeah. as far as forwards go. You uh, know, that that reminds me, like, players, hustle players always used to come and, like, complain about their hits numbers or their block shots numbers. You know, like, guys were like, I only got credit for one block shot. Look at my legs. I have three welts. You know, like, come on. Come on. You got to get, you know, like. Whatever, guys, just wanting to wanting to get their stats up, right? How about your boy, uh, your whole Lamico, seven and one in the circle? Yeah, I know. Good for him. Um, so, so guys would do this when you're the PR guy, right? Like they're like, come on, go, 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 figure out our real time stats, like whatever. And then, in contrast with that, was Keith Yandel, who'd who'd make a joke of being like one block shot and like sort of looking at me askance, and I'd be like, yeah, and he'd be like, new career high. <laughs> <You know>? um, <laughs> that's Quinn Hughes's six seconds of PK ice time. Yuho Lamico had a great game for a guy whose name the coach forgot. That's right. Got the goal. He, you know, saw a reasonable amount of ice time compared to what we saw before. Ten whole J minutes. J-Pad also called him the Llama in, is this a thing? Is this a thing that I've missed that people are calling him the Llama? On the on the right shoulders broadcast, they actually said that in Vancouver, Francesco Aquilini is called Daddy. Did I miss that episode for the last however many years he's on the team? Sorry, Francesco's called Daddy. Yeah, I thought that was Tanev. <laughs> yeah, well, Tanev was Dad, but I, I'm like they call him Daddy. What are you talking about? This is a Toronto host. I don't nobody, but they, the Toronto host said that. Uh, so as as you bring up Lama, I'm like Yikes. nicknames that I'm not, I haven't wrapped my head around yet. Well, yeah, Jay Pat called him really? Lama today in the press box, and I was like, "Who? I like that. Who? Though. I like it. 
I don't know. Yeah, I think he just couldn't remember how to spell it. Two M's, two K's. Easy. I know, but it, it's a good name. It fits. Yeah. It's not like, bad. you don't want to call him the lamb because that implies he's soft. But lamb hey, is okay. Uh, Riley Nash, right-handed centerman on waivers. I'm curious to see if the Canucks claim him, but here's my, uh, here's my hot take for you, Farhan. The guy the Canucks really should claim on waivers is Kevin Connaughton. Make it right. Undo the Derek Roy trade. Claim Kevin Connaughton. Kevin <laughs> Connaughton is an NHL quality LD. Probably not an everyday NHL quality LD, but Connaughton, Shen would be the best third pair that the Canucks have iced all season and not by a little bit. Connaughton can do the job. Connaughton should be the guy that the Canucks claim on waivers. On I still want to see them bring back on bring up Jack Rathbone. I'd still rather see him here on the third pair of left, lefty. Yeah, I mean, I'm okay with that, too. I'm okay with that, too. It's, it's RD they got to get figured out here, my man. I definitely don't have a ton of appetite to see four RD in the lineup uh, in perpetuity. You think we're actually going to see some movement on the on the Tucker Pullman front in terms of deployment or even just being act, being on the roster? Because uh, Bruce Boudreaux is going to come in and he can do it. He played a wants. lot, man. He played, well, you know, an interesting thing about Bruce, right, is he's beholden to nobody. He literally has no GM. Like, he can just go and figure out what he wants to do with this roster. There's no guy that, like, the GM, you know, paid a lot of money and or he advocated for the guy, and so he has to play him, even though his form... Like, he is completely free, completely yeah. unencumbered to do what he sees fit. But he played Pullman fairly regularly tonight. Like, I'd say Pullman... I mean, Pullman had, what, 16-ish minutes? Yeah, over 16. Um, 20 played a fair, Yeah, played a fair bit, so... I'm not seeing a big Pullman drop-off unless he goes back to being the Pullman that we've seen for most of the season. So long as he can just play a little bit better than that, I'm sure he stays in the lineup. His wheels should keep him in the lineup, but, you know, I watch Luke Shen. I watch that work rate. I watch that physical play. I, I mean, I would not be taking Luke Shen out of the lineup anytime soon. Luke Shen is awesome. Yeah, no, I wouldn't take him out either. I totally I agree. I love me some Luke Shen. I have actually, like, really come full circle on, like, you know, I, I just love the work rate, Farhan. I just love the work rate. Like Luke, Luke Shen works his bag off every game, every shift I've seen him play in a Canucks uniform. Um, I, you know, I just, I, I just enjoy watching him play hockey. Workmanlike, he's not great or anything, but he just, he does the job, takes pride in it, works hard. I, 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 you, if Luke you give Shen's me Shen and if who, you give me Shen and Rathbone as a third pair, I'd be happy. Yeah, or Connaughton and Shen. I'm down with that too. In terms of forwards, okay, we know Brock Besser scored, but beyond that, did we see anything from the guys that haven't necessarily been producing, 6 and 40, uh, and we know that Pedersen got the power play goal the other day, but do we see anything different from them? They got more ice time, right? I mean, yep. Pedersen was over 17 minutes, and I'm sure he's happy about that, but you know, I, I still saw reluctance to shoot as much as I'd like him to shoot on the power play, and um, you know, did we see anything different? Um, so Harmon Dial had a theory as the game went on, right? Because Vasily Podkolzin ended the first period as the high minute man for the Canucks at five on five, and yeah. he was elevated to power play one, right? Yeah. So Farhan, Farhan or sorry, Farhan, Harmon's theory was that Bruce Boudreau thinks he's Ovechkin. Except <laughs> <laughs> so he had him in net, he had him in the bumper. Yeah, he had him in the bumper, but I, for first line power play, for leading the Canucks in minutes, he's like, he thinks he's Ovechkin. <laughs> um, so I loved that theory. I was having a good chuckle at Harmon's um, pet theory there. <laughs> the tell you what, that the, shot JT Miller unleashed—that was Ovechkin. That was that was sick. Holy um, cow! Yeah, absolutely unloaded on that. And you know what? That's a little bit of a change, right? JT Miller on his um, one-timer side. Yeah. Right. I mean, a little bit of a change there. Besser, Besser in the bumper looked good. I like that. I like that look a fair bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the one difference that really stood out to me too was Horvat's penalty killing. And Bruce Boudreau alluded to a Canucks player who asked him if they could kill more penalties. I wonder if it was Bo. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's been out there a lot this year, but mainly just to take faceoffs as opposed to actually be out there for an extended period killing penalties. Yeah, I wonder and, if it was him. And, and, you know, we've always felt like, for me, I never got it, right? Because he has had opportunities to kill penalties and he just hasn't been very good at it. No, he and, hasn't. And, and I, for me, when you look at his game, you would think that his game is tailor-made to be an effective penalty killer. And for whatever reason, he just hasn't been. So yeah, I, I don't know if Boudreaux will do something different. Scotty Walker will do something different to get a bit more out of him. And maybe it's just a desire to do it more, I, I guess. I, I don't know. Yeah, not, I'm not sure either. But, um, but look, a lot of the buttons that got pressed tonight looked pretty good. 
for day one. And we'll see what the future brings. We'll see what future games bring against competitions that's not quite so tired, but hard not to like an awful lot of what the Canucks showed on Monday night at Rogers Arena. The one guy I didn't notice as much that I just thought I would, but I, like he plays no matter what. I don't think he would. I don't think a coaching change would affect him as much. I just didn't notice Nils Hoaglander as much. And he got plenty of ice time, but I just, for whatever reason, like the, the type of game I'm used to seeing from him, I just didn't see as much of it. Wasn't on the power play, though. Correct. Yeah, no power play time. And also, it did seem like Bruce Boudreaux thought he wasn't a big-name guy. Could be. There was like an answer where he was like, you know, even though not big-name guys, like, hoagie. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> He's big here. <laughs> tell, 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 me, tell me you're new to a Canadian market. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was... Um, yeah, I mean, Hoaglander, it'll be interesting to see how how deployment vacillates here. Um, but, you know, the, the key ones for me that, that I noticed right off the hop were just uh, fourth line ice time up, uh, skill players on the PK. Those those were the big differences. And uh, and we'll see how that evolves over time. And also as, you know, the Canucks head out on the road and, and face teams that aren't uh, playing the second of back-to-back games. And, and the Jets, who they'll face next, you know, they're going to be on the second leg of a back-to-back too. So... Should be able to keep, you know, at least the at least the solid performances rolling here, uh, getting the Boudreaux era off to a, you know, confidence inducing start. And boy, could this organization use that. Yeah, no, there's there's no question about that. And you, my friend, could use some sleep because yeah. uh, you have been here long enough. Before we go, we do want to let everyone know that the Athletic Hockey Show publishes four times a week. Monday, it's Ian Mendez and Haley Salvian who recap the weekend that was in the NHL. They'll welcome Charlie O'Connor from the Athletic as uh, the Athletic Philadelphia as the Flyers have made their coaching change. Elaine Vigneault out, Michelle Therrien gone as well. Uh, Tuesday, Dylan Larkin, the captain of the Detroit Red Wings, joins Sean Gentilly and co-host Max Boltman. Wednesday, it's the roundtable with Rob Pizzo from CBC Sports, Sarah Sivian and Jesse Granger from The Athletic, and they welcome Shayna Goldman, the new Devil's Beat writer this week later to the show. Thursday, Ian is back with Down Goes Brown, and they get you set for another busy weekend of NHL action. Meanwhile, thanks for listening to the VanCast back-to-back nights. You know, we go back-to-back as well here. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to leave a rating and a review. Subscribe to The Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from the entire network. This week, it's The Athletic Hockey Show's Wednesday Roundtable. As we mentioned earlier, they'll provide you with extra bonus or extended content. And start with a 30-day free trial, then just 99 cents a month after that. Right now, you can get annual subscriptions to The Athletic for just $3.99 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash the VanCast. Drancer, we saved our best for the back end of back-to-backs. How about that? Let's go. We have incredible stamina, sir. <laughs> no schedule hey. losses in here. No, I am getting on a plane tomorrow. I am heading to Hamilton to cover Grey Cup, but I am going to be watching the Canucks closely, and we'll do another podcast, another VanCast later in the week. I'm looking forward to it. Sounds good, man. Enjoy the Great Cup. Enjoy Hamilton, Ontario. I know a good Ruben place, by the way. Shoot me a text. I have some. I have some picks for you in Hamilton. I think. I think I might be sneaking into Toronto a few evenings, my friend. <laughs> fair, fair. Well, I have good recommendations for you there. Even better ones. I, I don't need those. I got lots. But hey, <laughs> hey, listen. Same um, travel. The, the only thing you can assure that I won't be doing, and not just because it's out of season, and that's going to a Blue Jays game. Get some sleep, my friend. <laughs> yeah, go 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 find a Robbie Ray jersey, bud. Be well. <laughs>